Hey, I want to uh, share a message called the wisdom of worship, the wisdom of worship. And I want to read a piece of the Christmas story that uh, you may or may not be familiar with. But uh, Matthew chapter 2, I want to read a few verses and uh, dive into some ideas how wisdom and worship and worship and wisdom are connected together. Matthew 2, verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Israel with him. So gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what's been written by the prophet. You, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So verse 7, Herod secretly called the Magi, determined from them the exact time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report back to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they'd seen in the east went on before them till it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, you might be familiar with this story in terms of uh, songs like We Three Kings of Orient Are, and it doesn't really even talk about the idea that there are, there are three kings, but the Bible describes the idea that these are magi. These are either wise men or priests or people who are in kind of a, a high position in society, and they are in pursuit of something that has been stirred inside of their own soul. And the first thing that I want to kind of point out is the idea that they saw this star in the east, and that star triggered something inside of them. And when you see some of the other people, there were some other people who the star was in the east, but they missed what that star meant. The Magi were aware of this prophecy, and I'm just going to share you just a piece of it, but there's an extensive prophecy about the Messiah coming in Numbers chapter 4, the Old Testament, verse 17, it says, a star shall come forth from Jacob. And the Magi, aware of this prophecy, aware of this promise from God, began to see something that other people could not see. And the first thing I want to point out to us today is this, is that when you hide the promise of God in your heart, you will start to see things others will not see. 
When, 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 when you begin to view life through the lens of the promise of God, you will start to see life differently. And there are promises that, that, that God has spoken to my heart that allow me to see things that I would not be able to see if I were not looking through the lens of those promises. And I want to encourage you because that same star that was, was in the sky for all to see was only seen by people who had hidden the promise of God in their heart who were able to then see it. Another story that uh, kind of pulls this out is uh, Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament had prophesied from the Lord that there was going to be a famine in the land and that there was going to be no rain for three and a half years. So Ahab is the king, and Jezebel is his wife. And in 1 Kings 18, there's a piece of the story here where it says, Ahab went up to eat and drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. In other words, he got in a praying posture. He had a promise, and now he was praying that promise through. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward uh, the sea. So he went up and looked, and he said, I don't see anything. So he, he kept telling him, go back seven times. In other words, I've got this promise. I'm praying it. I'm praying it. I'm praying it. I'm persisting. I'm going to hang in there. We're going to see something happen. And it came about at the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud that's as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Elijah said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. Elijah, with a promise in his heart and with a life of prayer and a persistent life of prayer, seeking after God, when he saw a small cloud, he saw a big rain was about to come. There are other people who would have seen that small cloud and would have never been able to recognize what was really happening. You see what you're looking for. If you're looking for the promise of God to be fulfilled in your life, you will see stars in the sky. You will see clouds in the sky. You will see things that other people will not see because they're not looking for them. If you set your heart to look for what's wrong, you'll find it. If you set your eyes to look for what's negative, you will find it. But if you set yourself to look through the promise of God for your life, you will see things other people will never see. Thank you for the 12 of you that really enjoyed that point. They, and so these Magi went to uh, worship. The Bible says that they said, we're coming to worship a king. He was born as a baby, but they were looking for a king. Now, a lot of people, they love the Christmas story because it's about eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. Anybody ever seen that movie? 
It's one of the best scenes in any movie ever. Dear eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, please use your baby Jesus powers to heal the stinky leg of my uncle or something like that. And the, the truth is, I think some the reason that people love the idea of baby Jesus is baby Jesus is cute. Baby Jesus is to be handled by you. But these men, wise men, were not looking for just a baby. They were coming to worship a king. And Jesus is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He, he, they came to bring worship to a king. So I want to point out to you for a few moments today uh, six different ways that I see in this story how wisdom and worship are connected. If you have any wisdom at all, you'll jot some notes down. Number one, worship is a move all wise men make or or all wise women it's always a wise move to worship god worship is simply a recognition of the greatness of god worship is stopping and going looking at god and recognizing god you're all wise God, you're strong. God, you're gracious. God, you're loving. God, you're more than enough. God, you are my provider. God, you are my redeemer. God, you are the one who takes things that have been broken and fixes them to where they're better than before. Worship is a stop and a recognition of the greatness of God, which the truth is, God is great even if you don't stop and recognize it. He's always great. And the wisest thing that you can do in any given situation is to worship first. Because worship is a recognition of eternal reality. God was wise yesterday. He's wise today. He'll be wise tomorrow. God is for you yesterday. He's for you today. He'll be for you tomorrow. God is able to take care of you yesterday. He's able to take care of you today. He's able to take care of you tomorrow. Wisdom says, I'm going to fix my hope on this God who never changes. Your circumstances will always change. There's always going to be things that change in your life. There's always going to be things that you might think you have control over, but eventually you realize total control is an illusion. You're not in control. There are people around you that are in your world today, but three years from now, they might not even be part of your life at all. There's a job that you have today that may not be your job tomorrow. 
There's a situation in your life that may be good, may be bad, but I'm glad that things come to pass, things come to change. And I I just want to point out to us that things are always going to change. People are going to come and go. The economy is going to go up and down. The weather's going to get cold and snow and then warm and then cold and then snow. In other words, things are always going to change. Your circumstances are always going to change, but God is always awesome. So worship is always appropriate. If, if you want your feet on solid ground, see, I think sometimes people misunderstand worship. They think, why is worship important? Why is it important for me to stop and recognize and verbalize and focus on the greatness of God? Is it somehow that God needs to be stroked? And, you know, I'm saying, God, you're good, you're kind, you're loving, you're, and, you know, and after enough strokes, God says, okay, now I'm going to bless you. No, the truth is, God doesn't need your worship. You need your worship. And these wise men, there was a stirring going on that caused them to make a move into worship. And I would bet if if we were to, to drill down into your life, we would find places where things are stirring, good things are happening, or bad things are happening, or hard things are happening, or things are going on in your world. And I'm saying to you this morning, whether the thing that's stirring in your life is things are going good, or whether the stirring in your life is things are going bad or difficult, choose worship first. Worship clears your perspective. (laughs) Worship positions your heart in the right place. We need worship because worship puts us in the right frame of mind. Worship puts us in the right place of heart. See, when you start to look at life from the perspective of God's goodness and God's presence and God's greatness, instead of looking at God from the perspective of your problem, there is... There is the things that are going on in your world. There is God. And I hope that you can recognize that God is not on the same level plane as the things going on in your world. They are not on an equal plane at all. God is highly exalted, far above everything that's going on in your life. And when we stop to go, I'm not going to just stay focused on what's going on in my world. I'm going to focus on God. Worship lifts you out of responding to the situations of your life. Worship lifts you up into a place of responding to God in the middle of your situation. Thank you for your enthusiastic support this morning. The second idea that I want to talk about how wisdom and worship are connected is this. Wisdom seeks out Jesus. Now, here's a story where 
these magi are traveling and they're looking for the king. Herod hears about it, this king, who feels threatened by another king possibly coming up, and he calls together, the, the Bible says, chief priests and scribes, who are then able to say, oh yeah, the Bible says in Bethlehem there's going to rise a ruler, and that's where you're going to find him. And what I think is intriguing about all this is that there's one group, the chief priests and the scribes, who knew enough scripture about Jesus, but it didn't make them make a move toward Jesus. And then there was another group, this Magi group, who actually said, here's the difference. I'm going to cause what I know about God to cause me to seek him out, to go after him, to go to a, a place of worship. One group wanted to just, wanted to personally connect with God. I hope that's why you would come to church today. Because you don't need more information. There's more information out there than anybody could ever handle. What we need is something in our own heart that says, I don't want to just know about God. I want to know God. And these wise men were diligently giving themselves to finding Jesus so they could worship him fully. Jeremiah 29 gives us this promise. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I'm saying to us today that wisdom seeks out Jesus. Wisdom seeks out the Lord. One group knew a surface about the Lord. One group said, I'm going to pay the price to get beyond the surface and drill down and find Jesus for myself. God is not just on the surface. Don't just stay skimming the surface, judging on the surface, assessing on the surface. We, we had a lady that would come to our Bible college, and I still remember her statement that she gave over and over again in the years that she visited our school. God rewards diligent seekers, not casual inquirers. The, the wise men paid a price to seek out King Jesus. And that's what wisdom does. Wisdom says, where is God in this? Not just what's the, what's the solution to the problem, but wisdom goes, where is Jesus in this? Where, what is God wanting to do in my life, in my world? I don't believe that God sends bad things into your life, but I believe when bad things come into your life, instead of seeking after how to fix the bad thing, I would encourage you to seek after God 
Because in finding God, you may find the solution. In finding God, you may actually find the one who is greater than you who can be the solution. Something happens in the seeking. Something happens in your soul that is, that is on a whole different level than just skimming the surface. When you go, I'm going to locate God in this. Wisdom seeks out Jesus. Third idea I want to give you is this, that joy is found in seeking God. Amen. Everybody just, like, even give me a fake smile for just, there we go, just, just give it a try. So Matthew 2.10 says this, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I just want to remind us today that joy is a big part of the Christian life. Joy is a part of a godly expression of worship. Joy, I think, is a missing dimension in the worship life of many churches, to be honest, that, that people would actually engage and enjoy and worship God. The ability to enjoy God, the ability to enjoy your life, to enjoy the life that God's given you instead of comparing your life to somebody else's life, the ability to, to go, you know what? Whatever's going on around me, I'm just going to choose to have a happy heart. Proverbs 15 says this, to the despondent, every day is a day full of trouble. But to the person with a happy heart, every day is a feast. That's a good scripture. I, I'm, I'm, I'm chewing on that one. Because I'm thinking to myself, my normal approach to life is pretty intense. I'm going for it. I'm pressing in. And I'm realizing this, that it, you could look at the news. You could look around you. You could, maybe it's even in your nature to be despondent, to be negative, to look for the dark side of things, and you keep making your own life a life full of trouble. I'm talking to somebody, because it's a little quiet in this room. But if you could choose to have a happy heart, your life could be a continual feast. I think, I mean, the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think religion has ripped us off in the joy department. That somehow you got to, you got to be so serious. And there's a moment to be serious, no question. But the Bible says, Romans 14, verse 17, the kingdom of God, it's not about what you eat and drink, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to suggest to you that a life that is, that is continually in pursuit of God, 
A life that is continually in pursuit of worship of God is a life that's going to be full of joy. The fourth idea that I want to talk about how worship and wisdom are connected is that those who see him will worship him. If you see him, you can't help but worship him. So Matthew 2.11 says, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground, and they worshiped him. In the Bible, every time you get a glimpse into heaven, uh, into the activity of heaven, whether it's Old Testament, like Isaiah chapter 6, or whether it's New Testament, the book of Revelation, every time you get a glimpse into heaven, the activity that's always going on is worship. Because in heaven, they see him as he is. And the only response that any human could ever have when you really see God as he is, is to worship him. And I'm going to suggest to you that worship is not this blind thing that we do, but there actually is a really strong connection between the way you see God and the quality of your worship life. If, you, if you're, the eyes of your heart are opened to see him, you can't help but worship him. And, and I think there's this almost like cycle that starts to happen in our life of seeing causes us to worship, and worship causes us to see. Can you know what I'm talking about? One feeds the other. So when I see something about God, it, it causes me to want to worship God. When I start to worship God, I start to see more about God. So I'm going to encourage you to, to pursue this idea of what you see about God that will lead you into a place of worship. The fifth idea that I want to talk about is this. How is worship and wisdom connected with the Magi is wise worship is tangible. Wise worship is, in other words, worship is not just an emotion. Worship does at times include words, but it's not just words. So Matthew 2.11, it says, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell to the ground, and they worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this whole idea is intriguing to me because their worship was manifest in a tangible way. Their worship, one, was manifest in the fact that they took the time to travel. They, they, they spent the effort, and travel for them wasn't nearly as easy as travel is for us now, but it was manifest in the fact that they expended the effort to go locate the king. Their efforts to locate God and then the Bible says they literally opened their treasures, their gold, 
their frankincense, <laughs> their myrrh, whatever. I want to suggest to you that there are a lot of things that you can do that are worship, that are, that are looked at by God as worship, that actually are worship. In other words, you've placed value on the king. So every time you corral all the kids together and get them dressed and get them to church, it's an act of worship. Every time, every time you say, I know I've had a busy week, but I'm going to church anyway, that's an act of worship. Every time you extend some kind of energy that is beyond just your personal convenience, that's an act of worship. Because, not because you should, because you want to. Because you place value on the king. I think, like, I, I love technology, and I love the fact that we're streaming this message today. Uh, I love the fact that we have media. But can I just say, there's something different about extending the effort to come worship with your spiritual family than the idea of just, I don't think I'll just sit on the couch and watch it live stream. Don't shout me down. <laughs> if I didn't want to extend the effort to eat dinner with my family, and I just said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Burger King and FaceTime my family while they eat. One, that is not going to happen. But, but how I many you know there's a different thing than you taking the time, the effort, the energy to say, I'm going to get with my family and eat dinner. I'm just saying to you, I love all this, but there's no substitute for being in the room with the people you love, worshiping the God you love. And and, and I think the effort to say, I value God enough that I'm going to, yes, I'm a little tired. Yes, I've had a busy week. Yes, I know one of the kids is sick, but that doesn't mean the whole family has to stay home. And, and then the Bible says, they, they opened their treasures. They didn't show up to honor a king empty-handed. So I think tithe is an expression of worship. 
It's not, it's not a duty that obligation requires me to fulfill. Tithe and offering is a, an honor and a recognition of the value I've placed on the king. Because I'm going to spend money on what I value. So are you, right? You value eating. (laughs) You're going to spend money on it. You value your kids. And nobody has to tell you you should put clothes on your kids. Can you see what I'm saying? Tithe and offering, that is worship. It's a tangible expression of the worth that we place on God. It's, it's showing God, this is the value I put on you. You're not just a baby that I handle and put away to the side. You're the king. And, it, and let me say something. These kings demonstrated who they were by what they brought just as much as who the King Jesus was. I think it all has to be seen in the light of worship. It can't just be seen in the duty of obedience. It's an expression of love. It's an expression of worship. See, You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And what is worship? It's the expression of love to God. Worship has an expression because legitimate love has an expression. So when I say wise worship is tangible, that means there's enough value placed on God that You get my words. You get my hands. You get my hands. And you get me engaging because of the value I put on you. You get me dragging myself together and dragging my family together or dragging my funky emotions together and getting in the car and showing up at the house of God to worship with all of my heart because of the value, that's the worship. It, you get my tithe because you deserve my first and best. You get my offering because where would I be without you anyway? And then the last idea, the sixth idea that I want to talk about how wisdom and worship are connected is that direction, wise direction, comes out of worship. So the Bible says that out of this place of worshiping the king, they were given a dream, uh, Matthew 2, 12, having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. If you remember the the story as we read it just a little bit earlier, Herod had said, go find the king, come back to me, 
and rapport because I would like to worship him too. Well, the truth is, Herod was a brutal murderer. Herod was known to literally murder his own sons to keep them from being a threat to his throne. And these magi, these wise men, were warned out of a place of worship, don't go back that way. I just want to say to you that often in a, in a moment of worship, a hunch come to your soul, and you'll, you'll just know, don't make that deal with them. Don't hang around with that one. Take that job. I think there's something powerful that can happen. I think often we're, we're seeking direction. And I'm encouraging you to seek God who gives direction. Hello? Because I think the worshiping heart is easily directed. When you need direction, and who doesn't? When you need direction, don't just seek direction, start worshiping. Because in that moment, in that place, in that atmosphere, you're going to get a warning sign, you're going to get a hunch, you're going to get a thing that says, don't go this way, or go that way, or take another route. You were going to do it this way, now do it this way. I think wise direction often springs out of great moments of worship. Amen. I want to pray with you today. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Every stirring that's going on in your life, the tough things, the hard things, the good things, I'm, I'm encouraging you to let them be an inspiration that would cause you to start to worship God. And maybe you're here today and you've not actually surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never really recognized him as being the king over your life. Today would be a great day to make a move in that direction. Maybe you're here today and there used to be a time where you were fully committed to the Lord, but you know things have slipped in and you have slipped away, and now it's time for you to make a move back to a God who's for you, to a God who loves you, to a God who wants to welcome you home. And maybe you're not where you want to be, could be, should be, and it's your day to come home. Maybe you're here and you just feel a lack of confidence. I don't really know that my life is in the hands of God. I would love to pray with you. You've never given your life to Jesus or you've slipped away from him. You feel uncertain about where you stand and you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? I want my life in the hands of God. Nobody's looking around. Just a moment to pray. If that's you, would you lift your hand real high and say, that's me. God bless you right here. God bless you right here. Come on, just be honest. 
more important than me praying for you really even is God seeing your hand go up to say God I don't know if I can I don't have it all together but I would do want my life in your hands is there anybody else that would say yeah me I, I want to surrender God bless you thank you anybody else God bless you thank you right here I'm not in a hurry for this because I don't want anybody I don't want you just to have listened to a message I want you to connect to a person who loves you who's for you anybody else God bless you thanks let's say this prayer together this is for everybody that lifted their hand but I would like for us all just to pray it together out loud. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I open my life to your love, to your Lordship. I need you. I want you in my world. I know I've sinned. I come to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. You've given me a fresh start and a new beginning as I surrender to you. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Amen.